Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So, last year's F1 summer break started off with a bang. Vettel retiring, Alonso to Aston Martin, Alpine announced Piastri, except he's actually going to McLaren. And this year, uh, yeah, content is low. Uh, but Callan O'Keefe and myself, Harry Benjamin, have got our heads down and have delivered for you uh, to keep you uh, in the loop and give you your F1 dose during this summer break, which seems to be, um, I hate to say it, it just seems to be dragging on slightly, Callan. Yeah, well, you know, the nice thing is everyone's by the seaside or riding bicycles <laughs> or having a great time. It's actually, it's quite refreshing, isn't it, to have no drama in Formula One for a little change. And hopefully it means that when they all come back, they'll be refreshed and ready to give us plenty to talk about. Exactly. You know, I had a massage yesterday, so, you know, feeling re- ready, raring to go and refreshed. Yeah, you, you can't talk about the drivers not giving us enough to talk about when you're away getting massages as well. It's, it's just, it's a zen summer break and I actually quite like it. Yeah, no, to be fair, I am actually I am actually quite enjoying it. But there is a little bit of drama that we can touch on. Um, it's not directly related to Formula 1, but I know a lot of WCF1 uh, fans will, will be up to speed with it. Uh, and this is with friend of the show, and of course, IndyCar champion. Looks like he's about to get another championship under his belt as well this year, Alex Pelot. Um, and he's gotten himself into a little bit of uh, a, a sticky situation, I think it's fair to say. Um, uh, and the rumor was he was supposed to be going to McLaren's uh, IndyCar team next year and, and a wider deal with McLaren as a, as a reserve driver, maybe even an F1 seat on the horizon. That is now apparently not happening. It's been called off. He's going to stay with his team, Chip Ganassi Racing, uh, in IndyCar. And it got us thinking, because this isn't the first time, is it, Callan, that especially McLaren have sort of signed a lot of drivers and and technically haven't got the enough seats for them. I mean, I mentioned it right at the start, Piastri last year, you know, and it was all kinds of, of uh, contractual stickiness going on with with McLaren and Alpine. So it, make, it makes me think, and, and you, you probably more in the know than this than I am, you know, when you get a contract through as a driver, you know, what? what's to say, or is there a clause that says, this is all that's going to happen, great, great, great. But if either of us want to tear this apart at any moment, that's cool. I th- I think it depends who you're dealing with. Like in theory, no, because contracts are written and that, you know, most contracts in, in motorsport especially are, are watertight because you're dealing with a lot of money. I, I think quite a lot of it comes down to the actual, um, if you like, the the way that, Business can be done in motorsports sometimes is a little bit different to other sports or not pretending to other sports, but let's call it the real world. Um, and I think it's it's a lot of people kind of doing what they need to do, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it You've got to look chal- after yourself at the end of the day, yeah, right, haven't you? It's, it's challenging, right? Because you, you've got a team looking after their best interest. You've got a driver looking after their best interest. And in theory, you know, you're trying to work together to create the best possible future for both of you. But it's such a fickle sport in terms of actually it's so hard to get a driver in top level motorsport, whether it's IndyCar, whether it's WEC, whether it's Formula One, you know, whether it's even like Super Formula in Japan, it's so hard to secure a top seat. When you have a top seat, then when you get there and you're, you're winning, you're looking for longevity. You're looking for how you can prolong your career as a driver. And 
you know, it's it's about reading the landscape. Because you're with a team this year doesn't mean they're going to win next year. You have to understand the market and the situation of where things are. And yeah, I think we don't know the full story, especially with, with Alex. Um, that will probably come to light over the next few weeks. And, and, you know, you never really know the full story. We just kind of get fed something. But yeah, motorsport is, is a tricky one. You know, you look at whether you think a team's committed to you, all of a sudden they're not. Whether a driver's committed to a team, all of a sudden they're not. And it's it's very complicated and there's a lot of moving parts. And I think with the whole McLaren saga, it kind of shows that actually it's it's not just as simple as here's the contract, let's sign and let's go be happy for the next three years together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the other thing, I suppose, with, with Alex is the other news was that he split from his management company uh, in Monaco. And you obviously work with a lot of young drivers in particular, not less you're sort of coaching them in terms of the driver aspect. But how important, I suppose, no matter what age you are, how experienced you are, is it to have the right people around you guiding you throughout your career? Well, yeah, you, you get one chance at it realistically, you know, unless you're very, very lucky, you get a second chance, like, you know, someone like Roman Grosjean, you get one chance to get to Formula One. And once you get there, that's it. And, or, you know, again, IndyCar, whatever the this, whatever you're aiming for. And if you make the wrong decisions, it significantly increases your chance of, of not getting there because every wrong decision is, is, is compounded, you know, because of how difficult it is. So I think you really need to make sure that you have the right people around. You have to make sure that you have people who align with your values, what your goals are, especially as a driver and, you know, really understand what you're pushing for. And again, every sport I think is, is pretty ruthless, pretty cutthroat. There's, there's a lot of money. There's a lot of politics. There's a lot of search for power, glory, whatever you want to call it. Um, and motorsports no different. So you can very finely, you can very quickly find yourself at the edge of a, a wrong decision and mm. a, a lost career. And yeah, I think that having the right people around you is, is one of the most integral parts of, of actually making a career in motorsport because negotiating the minefield is so, so difficult. Yeah, well, if he goes on to win the IndyCar Championship again this year, which is looking very, 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 very likely, then it doesn't really matter. Uh, I think whatever happens for, for Alex, because he's putting himself top bill. Um, but we wish him all the best going forward with that. Um, but speaking of, uh, I suppose, the right people around you, Nick DeVries, remember him? Um, the Formula who's, 1 driver for 10 races. Who's that guy? I've never who's heard of guy? him. that guy? Yeah. Um, I remember that him saying in an interview that he doesn't do or didn't do any of his. Uh, oh no, he doesn't have a manager. He he is the man behind his contract negotiations. I think he has people who who advise him maybe, but he doesn't actually have, I suppose, a manager taking their commission or whatever. Um, which actually, I think it, it must be so hard when you're dealing with a with a Formula One team, especially when he was dealing with Red Bull. They must have really like gone hard in on him. Obviously, it didn't end that well and there was obviously something in the contract which meant he could get kicked out at any moment but what's he got on to do well apparently he's going to go on and train uh, and study a little bit at harvard university of all the places that's 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 quite a a, a switch up Follow, following in the footsteps of um latifi do you remember him recently announcing that he wasn't going to come back racing he's going to go and uh, study in london and do a business sort of diploma thing yeah well, i find it kind of interesting we've had these two drivers leave formula one and then they're not going to another form of motorsport, which I think kind of shows, well, for the reasons it's a bit different, isn't he? He's, he's a Formula E champion and, you know, I don't know, he's obviously raced WEC as well. I don't know what the next step is. Obviously, you know, IndyCar is, is a huge risk for drivers, the speed that the, the, the cars take, especially the oval racing. You either love it or you don't. And if it's not something that really, you know, gets your fire burning, then it's not something that you take the risk for. So, but, you know, obviously, I we, we all kind of know Nick in the, in the paddock. He's an exceptionally smart individual. He's super, super smart. And I I do find it interesting, though, that he's not going to come back and do something else 
in racing. You know, obviously maybe he will from a business side of things. Maybe he'll come back and, and race once he's done, or maybe race alongside his his you know schooling his 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 education. Um, but it, I find it really strange to kind of leave on that note. And yeah, I think I think we've we. We all know that I'm a fan of Nick DeFries because I didn't think that he got his chance. Um, it'd be interesting to see if he comes back or if he builds something else in motorsport and maybe maybe he comes back and makes a bit of a difference in motorsport. You never know. Yeah, I imagine it's probably actually... Uh, I don't know when this course starts. It, may, it made it sound like it was going to be this year, even though there's not that long left of this year, really. Because I imagine, you know, he got kicked out so... Well, you say halfway through the year. Halfway through the year is pretty late on these days. And so joining another motorsport is probably going to be quite difficult to do that in t- this year. So I I thought he might try and do something for the rest of this year and then, and then come back kicking next year. I know, for, you know, he was at Formula E in London. Um, obviously, I think a lot of WEC uh, teams rate him quite highly as well. And, he, you know, he's been seen having coffee with Toto Wolf. Oh. So, you know, what's on the horizon there? Or maybe not Mercedes related, but Wolf, you know, does have a driver management company, I believe, as well. So, um and looks after Bottas, so uh, not to mention other drivers too. So um, maybe there's stuff there, but clearly all is not quite lost for uh, for Nick DeVries yet. We wish him all the best uh, in Harvard. But it just goes to show, you know, even when you get to the top level and you've got contracts on your doorstep, it can very quickly go go sour, go sideways, and you're and you're scrambling. So that I think leads us nicely on to to what we wanted the crux of this show to be about, because we are in that mid-season break. So we thought we'd look a little bit further down the tiers. And and actually, I want to stick to focusing on Formula 3 for this week. Um, And maybe next week we'll have a a closer look at Formula 2. But Formula 3, the third rung on the ladder, the road to Formula 1. I was the commentator, um, in case you didn't know. Um, And uh, uh, basically, those guys... Are, are so young a lot of them might also be balancing studies at the same time but they're desperately trying to make a name for themselves they don't have that name yet how and and Callan, you're the perfect person to, to speak on this because some of these drivers in f3 and, and that level regionally nationally you actually look after you coach them you and you've been there yourself is f3 the the because the, there's also 30 drivers on the grid right so is that the make or break kind of season for you and now it seems like you really you could you could only afford to do one season and then if you're doing two and haven't moved up to f2 yet suddenly it's a bit oh you know yeah you need another year and i don't know i i think so so you know a bit of context i think there'll be a lot of people at home that obviously know this but for the people that that don't just bear with me for a second while i can't explain that obviously you've got the the motorsport ladder you've got go-karting which isn't your your box standard rental karting, it's, you know, really high level teams, the teams that win in that, you know, the team that I raced for is a team called Ricky Flynn Motorsport. They looked after the likes of Lando Norris, you know, Oscar Piastri. They, they've brought through Formula One drivers and the level that they, they race to is a ridiculously high level. It's literally like mini Formula One. Then you have F4, you have Formula Regional, you have FIA, F3, F2 and F1. And that's kind of the, the defined FIA motorsport ladder. And F4 is, is really complicated now because the kids are so young. You can race F4 from the age of 15. You know, imagine a 15-year-old kid being given the keys to a almost 100K race car, speeds of up to 250 kilometers an hour, and big grids, carnage, absolute carnage, really worth watching if you if you you know you want to get your <laughs> yeah. fix of motorsport while there's no Formula 1 going. Um, then you have Formula Regional, which is, again, another step up, much faster car, um, 
you know, again, it's the first time really as a, as a young driver, you don't really do more than one or two years in F4. It's the first time you're, you're really able to race against, if you're a 15, 16 year old kid, it's the first time you maybe race against a 19 year old or a 20 year old. So this, the spread in the field difference is very, very big. And the experience really takes a big step up. And then you get to FIA F3. Now F3 is the first place where you really have to be ready to announce yourself as a driver. It's on the Formula One weekend. You have very, very little track time. You have one practice session before you're qualifying. Qualifying is everything. And the biggest thing is it's it's the first real environment where you go into where you have that Formula One style pressure for qualifying. You have realistically in most circuits, you have different compounds of tire. And most places you go to, you have one, maybe two push laps on a tire and 30 drivers normally separated. The top 25 will be separated by about 1.5 seconds. So the, the, the you know, it's the first place the teams are looking in terms of Formula One. If you can deliver in F3, it's like the first sort of um, step to the teams that maybe you might be cut out to be a Formula One driver. It's at the weekends anyway, so people take a, an interest in it. And But the problem is when you step up from regional and F4, it's so big in terms of what's taken away from you with track time, how much pressure there is, the lack of laps, the car, how much more difficult it is to drive. And, you know, F2, F3 now is really a two or three year championship. But the problem is it costs a lot of money to do it. You're looking at somewhere in the region of 1.2 to 1.4 million euros for a season. That's not play, play money. So it's really a balancing act between making sure that you're ready in the junior formulas. You really maximize your F4, your Freca time, whatever it is that you go and do before you jump into it to make sure that you're ready so that you don't have to spend that much time there so that you don't spend all your money. And that's the biggest juggling factor with drivers we see moving into F3 and F2 is do they have enough money? And do they have enough time? Really? Do you say, you know, one to two year championship, but, but is it, and, and I, I go, I agree with you. I don't think it should be because that's where you're learning and honing your skills. But I think Max Verstappen, um, his effect when he came into Formula One, l almost lowering the age uh, that you drivers realised they could do it, you know, almost set the benchmark so so high and also low if you're looking at it age wise. Um, but also Oscar Piastri, for instance, you know, he just went bang, bang, bang in one season. Take the championship. Next one in one season. Take the championship. Next one. And now you look and go, and there were so many who stepped up last year from Formula 3 to, to Formula 2. And you go, okay, great. Well, they're the ones that, that go through, say goodbye to the rest. And now that puts even more pressure on the next lot that come through in Formula 3. So like the top lot at the moment, Gabriel Bortoletto leads the championship. He's actually, he's a Brazilian. He's he's supported by Fernando Alonso's management company. Paul Aron, uh, as Estonian driver, he's backed um, by uh, Mercedes. Pepe Marti is uh, third. He's another, uh, he's a Spanish driver, again, backed by Fernando Alonso. Zacco Sullivan, Franco Colapinto, the top five. They're both Williams drivers. Dino Boganovic is sick. He's a Ferrari back driver. Gabriele Minis is the top seven, and he's backed by Alpine. So they all have relations to Formula One teams, which provides pressure, I think. Um, but I just wonder, with Formula One careers going longer and longer, we're going to get that bottleneck. And even if they are able to step up after one year or however it may be, once they get to the top of Formula Two, where the hell do they go? You know, because Formula One is is full. It's almost like a closed shop. So I know, obviously, no one really makes the step from F3 to F1. You have to do F2. But in F3, you know, who who are you looking at that has a realistic chance, do you think, of of getting a seat on the grid, maybe around 2026? Well, I think the big thing, remember as well, it, everyone's trying to rush through. 
but it's all about finding the right window. We just opened up the show with a whole discussion about contract negotiations and how <laughs> yeah, to find yeah. a secure seat. And then do, do you remember that guy that dominated F2 last year, Felipe Drogovic? Do you remember, remember where him. he is now? Well, yeah. yeah. And that's the point. You do all this hard work to rush yourself through to get ready. You win the category below Formula One and then they go, good job. You can sit on the sidelines for a year and hopefully we'll have a yeah. seat for you when we're ready. Exactly. Here's it's... the subs bench and we might not even use you. Exactly. So... <laughs> but, you know, good job on everything you've just achieved. Really, <laughs> really. All that money you've spent and all that achievement. Really proud. Well done. Um, <laughs> but it, it, it is. It's super complicated. And I think that's, you know, that's the great thing about sort of highlighting what what is out there. There are other places where you can go and make a very good living as a racing driver, become a world champion. You know, there's there's lots of cool different formulas and there's also kind of a, let's call them placeholders someone like something like super formula which liam lawson is obviously doing a great mm. job out there but in terms you know taking it back to to formula three i think as i said initially you know we're looking at this normally being a two or three year championship it's something that you kind of have to stay in. and i think what bortoletto is doing this year is is exceptional you know he's he's been the class of the field he's got his head around formula three very very quickly you know he won the first feature race of the year in, in bahrain which is, is kind of unheard of and he's he's just been super. He's just been Mister Consistent. He's always been there. Mm. You know, a, a bad day's been a fifth or a sixth, and a good day's been a win with a fast lap. So, yeah, I think he he's definitely he wasn't someone that I necessarily looked at after his Frecker year and thought you know he's going to go into F three and do amazing things. But obviously, like I said, that next step where tie conservation, lack of track time, it really highlights different qualities with a driver. Um, and yeah, I think there's been other drivers as well that have taken a big step up. You know, Pepe Marti's really impressed me this year. He's done a he's taken a huge step from last year. He has made a few errors that I think have cost him fighting for the championship properly. But as I said, the base from which he came last year, and he's he's still so young. I mean, he's he's 16, 17 years old. But we're discussing it like he's he's a, a ready-made <laughs> article, aren't we? Um, I think O'Sullivan's really found his form. He was he was one I was really expecting to be at the front, but wasn't he was with Prema, second year driver williams development driver and you know comes off a good pedigree he's always been successful in everything he's raced in, in f4 and gb3 so i thought he was going to be a bit better and he's kind of starting to find his form but maybe that second year expectation and pressure and hurt has hurt him a little bit and and then you know rounding out the top five we have super franco franco colapinto he kind of confuses me a little bit i've been teammates with franco and i know how quick he is he's super super fast but again he was kind of a driver who I really thought it was going to be Colapinto and O'Sullivan fighting together because of Franco's experience. Maybe a little bit of saucy, maybe someone like Gabriele Mini getting involved. So mm. to, to have the championship top five the way it is, I'm, I'm a little bit kind of shocked by that and <laughs> means in a very long-winded way, I'm probably not the best person to ask about who could be the one that goes to Formula <laughs> 1. That, I mean, um, Gabriella Mini, I think, has had a bit of a shocker, really, because he he was the man at the start of the year sort of fighting for the lead of the championship, very much so. And then it goes to show in Formula 3 and in motorsport in general, consistency is key. Consistency. Even when you're not the on the... Well, exactly. If you're not winning or not on the podium, you still need to be bagging some good points. You can't be DNFing. You can't be finishing outside the points. And in Formula 3, that is quite easy to do because it's such a tight field and such a long, big field as well. Um, and, they, uh, and we have the reverse grid race. You have so and much... And it's carnage. It's carnage. Yeah, it is. I mean, do you remember that year that it, it's, it used to be... Well, there used to be FIA 3 and GP3, but GP3 was kind of what FIA 3 is now. Yeah. Do you remember that year that Esteban Ocon won the championship against um, the Italian driver, Luca Giotto? Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. 
Giotto won like double the races Ocon won, but Ocon just went through this period where for nine races in a row, he finished second, even in the reverse grid races. And he won in the championship really, really comfortably. And that, it kind of goes to show it's not all about being the fastest driver. It's about putting together the most complete season, isn't it? Exactly. And and you mentioned, obviously, Frank Collipinto and Zach O'Sullivan there. They're both uh, got close ties to Williams, who don't really have a, an official reserve driver at the moment. They're sort of, I think they're allowed to sort of nick Mercedes if they, if they want. So so that would be probably Mick Schumacher. And Schumacher also has that, that relationship with McLaren as well, I believe. But I, I heard rumours that, you know, Colapinto even though he's always one point behind Zach O'Sullivan at the moment in the championship. But Colapinto, I think, is he's got that personality behind him. He's got an entire nation behind him, by the sounds of it. Argentina go absolutely crazy for this guy. Uh, and if it wasn't, I think he had a disqualification at the start of the year. So if it wasn't for that, um, he, he would be ahead. But there's talk, maybe, I'm hearing rumours of, of an FP1 outing for, for Franco Colapinto later on in the year. Because, of course, Formula 1 teams have to... Um, use rookies at some stage in at least one practice session uh, in in 2023, uh, and there's still a lot of teams that ha- are yet to do that. So um, so watch out for that. So so Colapinto, I think, has has a little bit about him. Yeah, he might not be at the top of the standings, but um, I think something about him is very worth noting. I also like love Pepe Marti. When I didn't when I didn't know Pepe Marti, and then when I first met him, he's Spanish. But he's the most English-sounding Spanish man you will ever meet. He is, isn't he? He's like, <laughs> he's he's just got the lingo absolutely dialed in. It's so good. He's yeah, he's a really good kid. I I've you know worked in teams with Pepe. The the I had a driver who did the uh, Formula Regional Middle Eastern Championship. It's like a winter series that a lot of the drivers go and do. You know, Mini did it, Paganovic did it. Pepe was there as well, and he was teammate to my driver who I was looking after, and he's. And he was he was also teammate last year to the driver I looked after an FIA three. He's he's just such a good kid. He's really come a long way. And I do think he has uh, you know, he's like any kid, he's got some stuff that needs ironing out. But like I said, the step he's taken from last year to to this year, I think, you know, if he, he continues along this process, takes a step up to F three, he's built a great team around him at Campos mm-hmm. as well. They really love him there. And if he takes that next step, takes it through to F two, we know Campos have a good car there. If he's gonna stay there and go go on that could be a very very exciting prospect for the future and then you know kind of looking forward to next year as well i i think a driver that doesn't get enough recognition in f3 is actually there's two of them and they're both british so forgive me if it sounds like i'm being biased but they're they're two that i know the story really well you've got taylor barnard who i think has done an amazing job this year and if he stays on watch out for him next year because he's taylor's since since i first watched taylor a few years ago in f4 he does exceptional things he did a, He's a Nico Rosberg karting protege as well. He is. He was, and and he kind of came through, and he was kind of, he was always in the karting, but he was always the one to watch. And we're talking about him racing against people like Antonelli. You know, the year that Antonelli was the man in seniors in karting, the only one that could beat him was Taylor, and that was, you know, that kind of shows his pedigree because we re, everyone really rates Kimi Antonelli. We all say he's the next F one star that's on the horizon. And, he, you know, Taylor's done an amazing job. I really rate him. I think there's there's big things to come from him. And the, the other one, I think, maybe who didn't get enough recognition going into the season is Luke Browning. So Browning has showed flashes of, of speed. But Browning kind of has had a very untraditional way of getting to F3. He hasn't followed the whole system of Frecker and everything like that. He's mm-hmm. only ever raced in Britain because he doesn't have that bigger budget. And high tech have done an amazing job to help Luke progress through. He won GP3 last year. And, you know, he, he kind of came into, everyone does loads of testing. You do lots of testing as much as you possibly can because track time is so limited and there's a testing ban during the season of what you can do. 
And as far as I'm aware, I don't think Luke, before the first test of the year, had done any testing in FIA, F3 level machinery. He just kind of jumped in and did the job. And he's, I, I think, again, if he stays and he continues to apply himself, he's got that maturity. He stayed with high tech. If he stays with high tech again and can keep building that team around him, mm-hmm. I think we could have a very interesting championship fight next year. I'm kind of getting a bit excited for it right now. I know. Well, look, I mean, look, Taylor Barnard uh, off the back of his first feature race win uh, last time out in Belgium. Luke Browning um, has been a little bit inconsistent, but the speed is there. Also, he joined high tech, I think, properly at the start of this year with about a day before Bahrain started and then joined Williams as an official driver as well. So he's another Williams back driver. So those guys look out for them. Um, and you're absolutely right. You've also got the likes of Sebastian Montoya in there, uh, the son of Juan Pablo, uh, who I actually thought maybe expected would do a little bit better, but uh, you know, only one podium so far, but that's the thing in Formula 3, you can have all the speed, but you also got to have a little bit of luck and you've just, You've, you've got to be you've got to have that thousandth that hundredth over your rival to then catapult yourself up several positions I, th- almost. this is this is a really interesting point i mean you know we we're talking about these kids who are 60 17 18 19 years old they're all so young now every other category of motorsport with the exception of f2 obviously you have onboard cameras you have data and video and that's what we use to train the drivers specifically you know here you compare the, the data with your teammate or if some championships you get the fast lap of the session you go look you're losing two tenths in turn three because you're breaking 15 meters too early. This is round about 15 meters. Go find it. You're also turning in too early. We can see that on the onboard. And this is this is where you need to be. And we kind of can place them and put them where they are. In F3, you don't have onboard. You only can work off of data because FOM own the rights to onboard. So obviously we have onboard on the race weekends. We have the picture broadcast, but we don't actually have the ability to sit down one-on-one with a driver and go, well, you're, you're, you know, you're turning in two or three car lengths too early. That's pinching the corner. That's hurting your exit. And there's your two tenths in that corner. And especially in a series like F3, all championships now, you know, anyone who listens to this will know that I keep badgering on about it. The margins are so, so fine. Even in F4, we're talking half a second between 15 to 20 cars. So actually, when drivers come in, they have to really understand what they're doing, where their car's placed, how they're maximizing the time with very little time on track, very little goes at it. And also with the pressure of Formula One and all eyes on them. So, yeah, I, I think this is, uh, you know, the, one of the kind of more interesting overlooked points of, of FIF3 and, and maybe something that the people at home didn't really know. Yeah, well, you know what? Um, having you here is brilliant, Callum, because you are so ingrained in that world, which is fascinating. And I like to think I am a little bit as well. Um, but one man who definitely knows what's going on in Formula 3 is the championship leader, Gabriel Bortoletto, uh, who joins me now. It is summer break time at the moment. We're right in the thick of it. A couple more weeks until, well, we're back racing F1-wise in Zandvoort. Of course, Formula 3, you've got to wait. A li- Actually, no, there is it. Is there F3 in Zandvoort? I can't remember. No, there isn't, is there? No, no, no. No, there isn't. Monza. Not anymore. Monza. Uh, so, back racing uh in monza for f3 so a little longer to wait uh, so how have you been keeping during your summer break what have you been getting up to thank you very much for the invite first of all uh yeah i've been quite busy in brazil right now to be honest um i've been here with my family for sure like relaxing a little bit but i've also been uh, in some races uh during my time in brazil and doing some uh some podcasts and everything that I have fun on doing it. And, uh, and yeah, uh, has been good, uh, recharging my energies for the last round in Monza. I'm very, very happy to, yeah, to, to be in Brazil with my family in this important moment, but yeah, it has been a great time. 
I mean, how do you look back at your season so far? I mean, for for a rookie, it's always challenging. Formula Three, there's so many drivers, varying levels of experience. Uh, and you've come in and seem to have really managed to get an understanding of the car and the tyres pretty much straight away. I mean, you know, getting the, the feature race win in Bahrain, following that up in, in Australia and just consistently scoring big points and podiums. How have you seen your season so far? Not to mention you're leading the championship. <laughs> yeah i i don't know honestly like i think i think i've managed to fit myself very well with the team and car uh, i think after the f3 car uh it's it's very let's say um comfortable with my driving style i like the way that the car behaves and how you need to drive to be fast and i think this is a natural thing of me you know, I think um, the way that I drive is naturally good for the F3. Um, maybe it was not as good as in other categories, uh, my way of driving. But for the F3, for example, the first time I went in the car, I was already straight away quick. And uh, yeah, and the team has done an amazing job uh, the whole season, delivering the best car or always in the top five uh, all the rounds of the season. And yeah, I think... Um, also, we have started working very, very early in the season, last season still, mm. after Monza. We already knew that we were going to maybe sign with them. So we did the test in Jerez, um, was very positive, And then straight away, we started to work. And uh, we did a lot of sim. I met my engineer and we have we have become good friends as well. So I think this is this was the key of this season, to be honest. When you say, you know, your driving style just seemed to suit F3, what what is it? How do you drive that, that seems to, to go well with an F3 car? <laughs> I don't know, to be honest. I, I think I think it's a little bit of everything, you know, the way that uh, I managed to feel the grip of the car, maybe. Uh, and in F3, we don't have much uh, practice time. And uh, this is something that uh, looking of, of, on this season, I've been quite strong. It was always to to be quite on, on pace from the beginning. You know, maybe not at the beginning of the practice, but at the end of the practice, I was always there and, and I could give a feedback of my car to my engineer quite accurate, let's mm-hmm. say. Because, yeah, I think F3, the main thing is the, the number of tests that we have, you know. We only had uh, three days of testing before the season start. And then we have a practice of 45 minutes, but we always wait like 50 minutes to go out of the pit lane. And we do like two or three push laps during the whole FP. So I think uh, it's key to be strong straight from the beginning, you know. And uh, I think the team has done a good job also pushing myself from the beginning of the season to be strong on that point, you know. It, it, it can look stupid, but uh, we we do a lot of go-kart as well. And uh, oh, yeah. Our, yeah, we do a lot of go-kart between the teammates and, and the team Trident. And on these sessions of, of karting, we do like uh, sets and sets of new tires. And um, we just go out, push and box. And you need to deliver the time. And this is something that they keep pushing us always to be on the pace straight away from the beginning, you know. So maybe maybe this is a strong point, and let's say driving style, uh, maybe it's a little bit of everything, as I said, uh, fitting well yeah. with the car, feeling the grip, and uh, being straight away on pace. 
I love the fact that you're all still go-karting pretty much and that yeah. has a direct effect uh, into how you race on a Formula 3 weekend. So how do you view the the support category system at the moment? You know, we mentioned yeah. there testing is limited within the championship and and the format of, of Formula 3. You have one 45-minute practice session, as you said, and that's all you get before you're chucked into qualifying. And if you have a bad free practice, you're probably going to have a bad quality and then you're on the back foot for the whole weekend. Do you think it's difficult to sort of find a sweet spot or, or where do you think F3 can improve or, or the overall support category network can improve? I like the way that uh, the F3 system works um, because I think it pushed the drivers, as I was saying before, to be straight away on pace and to to be quick, you know, because sometimes when you have uh, two or three uh, FPs and everything, uh, this happens only in Formula 1, but in Formula 1, there is many, many things that the people, like the drivers and the engineers and everyone needs to work, you know. The car is mm. so much more complicated than a Formula 3 car. They need time to set up the car. They need time to make the car work. Formula 3 is not so much like that. Formula 3 is a lot about, um, you know, just the driving get on the pace. And I think if you get a lot of time on FPs, um, like everyone at some point will get in the pace and maybe will extract more and more from the car. But I like the way that F3 pushed the drivers to be quick. And this is a good school for the future, you know. Also because one day, in case we get a, a shot in Formula 1 or a test or whatever, we need to show our potential. And saying that, I would say like, for example, we go to do an FP1 in Formula 1. You, you don't have uh, like three days to, you know, learn the car and everything. You need to be mm. straight away on pace. So I think this is a good school. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. Boy. And more often than not, on a weekend, Formula 3 is the one that provides the more of the entertainment uh, throughout <laughs> the weekend. That's for sure. Um, you mentioned, obviously, you know, getting an F1 shot. And that is really difficult. Uh, and we have to talk about your relationship with Fernando Alonso being a part of, of, his, of his management team. How did that come about and what kind of benefits do you get from that? Uh, but Fernando nowadays is my manager and to be honest, it's a life changing for me and uh, for my whole career because um, before Fernando, I didn't have anyone, let's say, uh, that had a lot of experience to put me in the right places with the right people. And Fernando and, and my management team, that is not only Fernando, it's Fernando, Alberto and Albert, is three owners of A14. They they have been helping me a lot to know where I need to go and how I need to react on some occasions on team. And um, But having Fernando as a, as a manager for me, it's very important because, you know, I still learn so much from him but so much you know it's even crazy to think when you see him driving and and talking about car and whatever it's very impressive and he pushes you so much because you see him in gym every day you see him doing you know things that you only would see a kid of 18 19 years old trying to reach the goal of being a formula one driver doing it because you know you want to give 110 percent of yourself and fernando he doesn't have anything to prove anymore you know he's already two times world champion he's considered one of the best f1 drivers of all time for many people and he's still pushing like probably when he was 18 you know so <laughs> yeah. this is very motivating for me and uh and yeah for sure uh when we have our our conversations we always 
always talk about driving and how I can improve at some points on my side. And that's very cool. The guy's still got it, hasn't he? He's still got it. Um, what What's the biggest thing do you think you've learned from Fernando? I would say that what I was saying now, I think uh, that you, you always need to keep pushing. It doesn't matter how old or how... Uh, let how is the right word of that but uh, how motivated or how not motivated you are because maybe you are going through a bad season and uh, it doesn't matter you know you need to still keep pushing and you still need to give 110% of you and I think what I've learned from Fernando is not something that he told me but it's something that I realized that he does it a lot is that he never he never gives up and I think uh, I think that's the main thing that I try to push myself on doing is it's it's that. And for sure, I've learned some technical side on driving as well, like on track, you know, when we were talking before Bahrain Quali and he was giving me some tips and also about Melbourne track, uh, where to use curbs and where to not use curbs, how to use it and all these type of things. But this is something that you use for one track. But the main thing for me is overall, you know, uh, this thing of uh, pushing always, and and that's the main thing for yeah. me. Well, I mean, to have Fernando Alonso at your beck and call is uh, is pretty pretty good. I think is fair to say. <laughs> you, I think you've also you clearly earned that opportunity as well. And the way it's going in Formula Three for you right now, um, it's absolutely deserved leading the championship with one round to go. Um, before we we c- come towards the end and, and your future plans, um, let, let's have a little bit of F one chat, shall we? Are, are you able to? keep a track of the season much obviously i know focus is very much on yourself but have you enjoyed the, the formula one racing this year what do you make of, of max verstappen and red bull's dominance honestly i love to see uh for sure i would love to see also other teams winning but you know max has been i think through a lot of things in the past with red bull like he was already in in a position to win world championships because he was driving well enough and he was uh, on it, but he didn't have the car to win uh, in when Mercedes was dominant and uh, and now after the new the new not the new because in 2021 he already won but uh, on that season he had the car he had the shot to win the championship and straight away he won so in one opportunity mm. that he had in the last lap he he managed to win the, the title and i think seeing that a young guy because max is still very young even if he's in formula 1 for very long I think it's very cool to see a driver like this because you can see that he's extracting 100% of his car it's very cool to see a qualifying lap of him. So I think uh, he deserves everything he's been on the last years. And uh, honestly, if he keeps driving like this, he deserves to win much more titles than what he has now. I mean, there's no denying his talent, is there? One thing that is missing from the Formula One grid, though, is a Brazilian racing driver. Is that going <laughs> to be you, Gabriel? I hope so. I I am quite sure that if I keep doing the results that I am doing and the work that I'm doing, I will have a shot at some point. Um, but yeah, um, I am I am the one that now is in Formula Three and hopefully stepping up to Formula Two in the future. But um, yeah, we cannot forget also about Felipe because Felipe is a Formula Two champion and uh, absolutely. And yeah, I think he also deserves a. a a chance there i don't know if he will get a chance or not uh this doesn't depend on him so much i think 
but yeah, let's see. I hope I can also get my one and uh, not just one year, but do a good <laughs> job and stay there for very long. Exactly. Well, I mean, if F3 goes well and, and you seal the championship in Monza, uh, is, is F2 likely next year? What can you tell us? Yeah, for sure. Um, if I do well in Monza and I finish, uh, I finish. Uh, let's say I would. I don't want to say the word because no, no, no. Don't I'm jinx quite it. Don't jinx it. But yeah, I I finish in the position that uh, I am starting the race. <laughs> <laughs> I think the the step would be Formula Two for sure, and uh, that's our target. Well, look, Gabriel, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, F3 is back in action in Monza. Um, so a little bit longer to wait, but it will be the championship finale. And uh, Gabriel is the man in pole position. We wish you all the best, Gabriel. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, hopefully we can catch up with you a little later on in the year and, and hopefully uh, uh, continue to see your career uh, uh, go upwards and onwards. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to take part of this uh, this podcast. And uh and yeah, thank you for the invite and I hope to come back soon. Cheers, mate. I mean, awesome to have Gabriel Bortoletto uh, take the time uh, to join us during his summer break as well. Um, and yeah, only one more round to go in Formula 3. So if you haven't watched it all year, we'd thoroughly re recommend uh, the next and final race is the sprint race and the feature race will be Monza uh, supporting Formula 1 uh, in Italy. Um, and I mean, obviously for, for, for eagle-eyed listeners, the eagle-eyed listeners? Yeah, um, I mean, I'd just like to point out that that made absolutely no sense in case yeah. anyone thought we were just going to breeze over that. We're absolutely not. The, Back the, to you, Harry. The, the eagle-eared listeners who uh, were listening to that. Yeah, we'll roll with it. We'll roll with it. Um, <laughs> we'll notice that Callum couldn't be bothered to say anything during that. Uh, it's because we had to do that interview slightly later in the day. Uh, the power of editing. Anyway, um, what he did say, though, um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about Fernando Alonso. And obviously, Gabriel is is managed by uh, Fernando Alonso's um, driver coaching company, as I mentioned at the start. The likes of Pepe Marti, also a part of that. So Alonso really kind of doing his bit um, to, to look after some younger drivers. I mean, Callum, you've actually been a part of Fernando Alonso's racing team before back in you know a couple of years ago um but you know how how much of a bonus is that to have somebody like Fernando Alonso at technically your beck and call well yeah it's it's huge I mean I I was lucky enough to race Monaco uh, for Fernando's team and I, I'd never driven a street circuit before the team hadn't been to Monaco before and we had 30 minutes of free practice to learn before we went into qualifying and obviously if there's one track where qualifying is pretty important, it's Monaco. Um, there's not a great deal you can do around there without getting pretty inventive and cutting chicanes. And the Friday night, you know, I, there was a WhatsApp group chat where Fernando went corner by corner of, of my fastest lap in free practice. And literally, I'd like to say analyzer. He tore it apart. It, was, it wasn't a great lap. Um, but just having that inside of someone who's so knowledgeable and, you know, he was giving me all the little tips. He was like, you know, when you get to the top of the casino, this is the barrier you aim for. You turn it at this point, you aim for it. And, the, you know, the lack of grip will, will wash you out, but be careful over the course of a race weekend because as the, the race weekend rubbers up, you have to adjust your turn-in points because if you turn in aiming for the barriers, but it's gripped up, you're obviously going to hit them. And it's the little insights like that where we talk about how close it is and how you need everything you can to make the difference. It really helps having someone who's fully in it, who's done it, who knows what they're doing. And, you know, obviously it's, it's proving pretty valuable for the, the drivers that he's looking after and they're really utilizing that experience and that knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, even you just saying that gives me sort of like, oh my God, imagine being told that by Fernando Alonso. Um, but if you're going to be told it by anybody, probably best from him. Um, well, look, we're we're out of time for, for this week's uh, F3 special. 
Um, so thanks to Gabriel Bortoletto for, for joining us. And there you go. We managed to get through another another week, another episode, Callan, of things to talk about. So that's always that's always a bonus in my book. Well, let's let's make it look like we actually got loads, and hopefully <laughs> we will when we come back. I mean, we're, we, you know, Formula One's just back around the corner. I think we're all revitalized, ready to go. And I, I just, I just think someone could challenge Max Verstappen at Zandvoort. Why I would you? I say don't that? see anyone taking the challenge to Max because you know he's he's looking under pressure, and we all know he struggles to support there. So hopefully, people get behind the other drivers and. I just, I just can't wait to hear the Dutch national anthem again. It's an absolute. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot wait. Uh, whether somebody will challenge Verstappen, I think you are completely, utterly out of your mind. Okay, we're out of time. Make sure you are following and subscribe to the WTF on social and YouTube channels. Uh, but in the meantime, we'll be back uh, next week, I think, to have a little closer look at Formula 2, because we've still got one more week to have a look uh, and get through, along with all the latest F1 news. Uh, but from myself, Harry Benjamin, from Callan O'Keefe, uh, we'll see you then. Bye.